This is the Community Podcast with Zach Beard and Aaron Marco, two Morgantown real estate agents highlighting the good people of our city and state. We're taking you behind the sign, connecting interesting people, places, and faces, why they do what they do, and how they came to be doing it. We're building a better community. biggest hobby is uh playing music bluegrass and classic rock oh that's when you guitar player guitar and banjo yeah. guitar and banjo terrific yeah it's great fun i can have a stressful day and come home and start jamming and i take many guitar breaks throughout the day oh cool yeah i take many <laughs> guitar breaks as i'm sitting around punching keys on a computer that's a like guitar uh-huh. break time what kind of stuff do you play? Oh, I play all kind of stuff. You know, but right now I only have an, uh, an acoustic. I'd sold all my electric gear many years ago. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I had a beautiful Les Paul that I'd played for, for many years, and I ended oh. up just getting rid of it. I was going to turn it into a, some new camping gear, and I ended up buying my kid, a, uh, my son at the time, a dirt bike with the money. So That's how it goes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it goes. But, yeah, I play a... Uh, play acoustic every day got an old blue ridge um back when blue ridge was originally made in the states um by the same guys that make kentucky mandolin um i'm pretty sure um anyway great guitar yeah super cool yeah I, I, not to go on about this forever but i have um i'm gonna have to make a trip to the martin factory here soon because uh, i have a martin and i have to get the neck reset on it which is a big job they gotta uh, pull all the frets and reset all the frets too or they just gotta mess with the it's got a truss rod it's it's coming undone at the base. Oh wow! And so it's it's not a truss rod issue. I mean, the neck uh, itself is straight. It's where it dovetails but the whole the body. neck is coming up like that. It's still straight to itself, mm-hmm. but the whole thing. Uh, it happens to all acoustic guitars. All get all acoustic guitars eventually have to have a neck reset. Um, but anyway, it's a lifetime warranty at Martin. Yeah. And um, so I'm gonna I'm actually gonna drive it there rather than ship it. So I have to. Get around to that. Get the full experience. You familiar with Andrew White here in town? Do you know? Yeah, Andrew? I've been to his place. Uh, we might ought not to talk about him because if we do, it, I might have to go there and spend more money. <laughs> and, and I don't want to do that. All right, we'll leave that off the table. Yeah. All right. Well, that's terrific. Well, good deal. Well, we're recording. Um, so, good morning, everybody. Good, good morning, morning, Zach. Good to see you. Good morning. Guys, I'm enjoying a little bit of coffee here. We got coffee provided from uh, Annie's Coffee Shop today. We got coffee and we got cinnamon rolls. And I'll tell you, they're fantastic and the coffee is terrific. And we really appreciate Annie's Coffee for pro- providing some of the stuff here this morning for us. Absolutely. I'm very excited to see their new market opened yesterday. That's right. Which, by the time this airs, will be about two weeks ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, They'll be well on their way by then. Yep. 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 Super. Well, I tell you, I'm pretty excited this morning. We got Mr. John Deskins with us here this morning. John Deskins is from the School of uh, Business and Economics and helps author the state's economic um, outlook report. And so we got some really neat information that we're going to get from John today. He's a guy that has a lot of passion for West Virginia, and uh, we're really glad to have you on this morning, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. So happy to be here and so happy to you know talk with you guys about what's happening in West Virginia and you know, some of our opportunities and growing our state and making it a better place to live. Well, that's terrific. I tell you, one thing I noticed right away, I've listened to a couple of your talks so far, and you seem to have a very genuine passion for West Virginia itself. How did that develop over time, John? Well, I mean, for one thing, I'm from Virginia, but where I'm from in Virginia is the very southwestern part. And my home, as the crow flies, is only maybe 20 or 30 miles from the West Virginia state line. 
Um, both my grandpas were coal miners. I mean, I'm from Virginia coal country. Long story short, my family settled there in southern Appalachia or central Appalachia long before the states divided. Yeah. When the states divided, some of us were on the Virginia side, some of us were on the West Virginia side. But, uh, but I consider myself to be home, uh, you know, regardless of the state line issue. I will tell you this. I mean, uh, I've kind of always enjoyed the mountains, always enjoyed being from this part of the country. But I lived in Nebraska for eight years. Oh, yeah. And I love Nebraska. I love Omaha. It's a very nice place, very nice people. But but when I would drive home, uh, I swear, when I would start getting close to the mountains in Kentucky as I would start driving on the interstate, I, I swear it almost, I would almost become tearful when I would start to see the rolling hills turn into mountains because I knew that I was getting close to home. So anyway, I'm happy to be back in this I can totally identify that. I lived, with, I lived in Florida for about a year. And uh, when we moved back to West Virginia, when I hit those southern mountains, man, it was really like coming home, man. It was oh, a yeah. big deal. Yeah. So, no, If you are born in the mountains, if you're from the mountains, <clears throat> nowhere else is ever going to be home. So, That's true. So I'm happy to be here. I love this uh, place. That's absolutely true. Um, before we dive too far into things, uh, Aaron, you want to take a look at real estate in Morgantown a little bit? Maybe some of the numbers? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about a little bit of that. Yeah, since we've got an economics guy here today, maybe we'll look at like an absorption rate. So on our MLS, we've got uh, Cheat Lake, we've got the south side, um, we have General Morgantown, and then we have the west side. And that west side's kind of broken up to Maidsville, Westover, Purse Glove. Mm-hmm. And then I think actually some of the Westover also falls into the, the General Morgantown side too. Typically in real estate, anything over like a 20 23% on that absorption rate is considered a uh, seller's market. Um, so there's... Where are we at currently? Most areas are at that seller's market. Cheat Lake is way up there at 34%. And I only did this year. So we're only, what, six, seven, maybe eight weeks into the year. I'll tell you, the deals I've been involved with personally so far have all been selling above asking price. And there has been multiple offer situations on so many of them. It's a unique thing, I think, right now is you have um, a limited supply and you have also very low interest rates, which is really driving it. So it's a, it's a, it's mutually beneficial. You're you're getting a great interest rate over a long period of time for your purchase, and sellers are getting a premium for their home right now. So absolutely, yeah. So even without running those numbers, you know, as a realtor, you can even just a seller, you can kind of get an idea where the market's moving to one way or the other. But Cheat Lake, they're pretty incredible over there, thirty four percent, and then just General Morgantown, they're at a thirty two percent. So they're the, the inventory is extremely low. Yeah, the days but, on market have been real low. But the buyers are still out there. It's pretty impressive. And hopefully we're going to keep that trend going. And we're going to talk a little bit about the future of West Virginia and how the economics is going to take place here. And that's what we have John here to talk about a little bit today. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of positive things on the horizon right now for West Virginia. Um, one of the things that we've learned and we've talked about on this podcast a couple of times is the uh, – the lessons we've learned through this whole COVID experience and the ability to telework and um, that untethering people from uh, a, a traditionally anchored position where they got to stay wherever they're working and have that ability to enjoy a quality of life somewhere else. And we're hoping to push that quality of life here in West Virginia. John, what kind of trends are you seeing economically for West Virginia? And what are some of the key points we need to be on the lookout for? Well, first and foremost, I'm excited to talk about the remote work thing in just a few minutes, because that is, I think, the most exciting economic development opportunity that we have that has emerged kind of as a result of this COVID pandemic. Uh, But as far as the economic trends go, I mean, the baseline number is this. We lost 94,000 jobs 
early last year, March and April of last year, due to the pandemic, 94,000 jobs. That amounts to about 13% of all the jobs in West Virginia were lost over a two or three month period. We've never seen job loss like that in that short a period of time. Incredible, incredible and unprecedented. Uh, but early summer last year, and for the, all of summer last year, was good. We bounced back after actually 57,000 jobs. So we lost 94,000 and we regained 57,000 over the course of the summer. The bad news is we've actually been pretty stagnant since fall. Since we got to about September or so, uh, our jobs number has just been moving sideways. So we're still here kind of in a holding pattern waiting for, you know, when is the economy going to regain more traction to add back those remaining 37,000 jobs that we have yet to recover to get back to where we were a, a year uh, 14 months ago. So what were the majority of those jobs lost? What were the majority of those jobs regained? Were they in the same industry or did they cross industries or? Well, I mean, first and foremost, every industrial super sector in West Virginia lost jobs. Every single one of them lost jobs. Uh, and the only two that have fully recovered are construction and manufacturing. Those two super sectors are completely back or maybe even a little bit ahead of where they were a year ago. Uh, but the biggest job losses, which isn't surprising at all, we're in leisure and hospitality, right? Leisure and hospitality, that's the industry or the super sector where we have restaurants and bars, those industries, those businesses that were directly affected by the pandemic. Um, almost, I think, I'm doing this right off the top of my head, but I think we, th we saw 39,000 jobs lost in leisure and hospitality. And that sector still has about 12,000 jobs yet to add to get back to, you know, quote, normal. Uh, the second sector that was hit the hardest was, unsurprisingly, retail. Retail was already suffering for various reasons, online shopping being the biggest reason. But retail was also hard hit during the pandemic. But uh, those are the two sectors where we still have the, you know, the most ground to uh, recover. So even with that, that big a loss in such a short period of time, what do you think helped keep the real estate market so strong, if you know anything about that? I mean, last year was an exception. It was a great year for Morgantown especially. Well, I mean, in some sense, we have a complete divide there. I mean, the real estate market is people with long-term planning, long-term vision. I mean, nobody's buying real estate based on what they think is going to happen you know, over the next couple months. They're thinking about real estate purchases based on the next five or 10 years. Um, and the pandemic was certainly you know, more driven by short-term thinking. People thinking, hey, let's cancel our vacation right now this summer, but you know, that's not going to affect our long-run plans. Um, I think that was a big part of it is just the short-run, long-run divide. Uh, but then, of course, low interest rates can't hurt, right? I mean, the fact that we are at, you know, once again at incredibly, incredibly low interest rates, um, you know, that has to be a pretty good boost. For Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, those interest rates are very helpful. And, and like you said, people canceling their vacations. And so many people that we would work with were, that's what they said, you know, we're going to be stuck at home for a while. Our home's too small. we got to spend a lot of time here now. We better get something just a little bit bigger if we're going to make it yeah. through or not. Well, that's interesting that you say that because I have read articles that uh, some businesses like Lowe's and Home Depot have also done very well because as people are working from home, they just notice every little thing that's wrong with their house. And so yeah. they're investing in more home improvement projects. And I think the same probably applies to, to just purchasing a new home as well. Definitely. Yeah. Now, you know, a lot of people are trying to build decks, just do home remodels and lumber was, and I'm sure the manufacturing part of it was down a little bit, but you couldn't get it. Yeah. And then some homes were being built up and there were, you know, a 30% spike in lumber prices and even appraisers, they were, they were doing like the cost approach, um, for when they appraised a home. And so you'd see those numbers go up in parallel with the number of lumber costs. I was wondering what's going to happen, you know, 
three years from now when they go to reappraise that home and it was appraised at that inflation rate, is it going to be able to match yeah, that's the normal a, that's trend? A, that's a potential danger. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't thought about that part. I can tell you I did some home improvement myself. I painted a bunch of rooms in my house just because – being there all day, I noticed like, oh, there's a fingerprint. Oh, there's a little scratch. So. We all did. I did all kinds of projects, especially early on in this thing when, you know, we didn't know how long we were going to be stuck at home and those kind of things. So, yeah, I did a lot of those things as well. John, one of the key problems that that I tend to look out there and I hear talked about a lot and what I see out there is really this workforce particip- participation rate. And um, we tend to have one of the lowest rates of participation in, in the state. How is that hurting us currently right now in West Virginia? And what are some of the, the ways you think we can start to beat that back a little bit? Well, I, I like it that this, po- this podcast is focused on positive momentum, uh, you know, focused on the bright side of things. But, you know, to ultimately get to where we need to be, we have to focus on labor force participation. Uh, so it is kind of one of the problems that we have to be very serious about. Uh, so the labor force participation rate captures among the entire adult population, how many people want to work. Don't even worry about right now whether they are working or whether they're just looking for a job, but it captures how, what percentage of the adult population wants to work. And, and in West Virginia, we're not among the lowest. We are the lowest. We have been uh, 50th among the 50 states for literally for decades, literally for every single year for decades. We have been dead last in terms of labor force participation. Uh, nationally, the, the national labor force participation rate for 2019, we don't have 2020 numbers yet. They'll be lower for 2020, but but for 2019, uh, the national rate was 63%, and West Virginia was dead last among the 50 states at 55%, meaning that only 55 out of every 100 adults in West Virginia want to work. Uh, and this is the thing. There's no way that we can ever achieve a level of income or, or, or a level of economic prosperity that's on par with the nation if we have a full 8% of our adult population sitting on the sidelines compared to the nation. We have to get that labor force participation rate up. It has to be uh, a top economic development priority. But the thing is, like, like I wish that our only problem was that our tax policy were messed up. Yeah. I wish that was our only problem because we could go down to the legislature and fix that in one legislative session in two months. But this issue of labor force participation is a hard problem to solve. It can't be solved overnight. Uh, it takes a long time to solve it, so it takes a lot of perseverance, a lot of diligence. Are, are uh, people not wanting to work because the job they want is not here? Or is it, you know, as maybe we've said in the past, maybe a generational thing? You know, what, what kind of drives some of that? I mean, over the long run, I mean, the people and the jobs will come together if, if the people are ready, willing, and able to work. I think the fundamental driver, what you're talking about, I think, is more of a short-run phenomenon. But, but the long-run driver here, I think, is issues related to human capital. It, it relates to people who have poor educational outcomes, people who would like to work in a perfect world, but they don't have the education or the training or the job skills or the job preparedness that workers demand, so they don't, even, they don't even bother to look for work in the first place because they know they're not going to get hired because they don't have the skills. And you can you can back this up with data. I mean, you can look at numerous educational outcome measures, and West Virginia is usually somewhere between 45th and 50th among the states in terms of those given educational outcome measures. Same thing is true with health. You have people who would like to work in a perfect world, but they have some health problem that keeps them from working. They don't even bother to look for work because of this health problem. It's the same story. You can back it up with data. You can look at 
diabetes, cancer, obesity, lack of exercise, all these health outcome measures in West Virginia is usually somewhere between 45th and 50th among the states in terms of these health outcomes. And the third issue, I bet you can guess, is drug abuse crisis. You know, West Virginia was really, really hard hit by the opioid crisis. We still have a major problem with drug abuse in the state. I don't have extremely up-to-date data on drug abuse, but I'm betting anything that it has been made worse as a result of the pandemic, uh, not better. Uh, And and so it's it's the same story. You have people who would like to work in a perfect world, but they don't even bother to look for work because they've gotten, uh, you know, caught up in this very tragic uh, issue of drug abuse. And so education, health, drug abuse are three of the big factors keeping our people out of the workforce and limiting our economic development opportunities. Just a couple of small problems, evidently. <laughs> Those are big problems. Those are, and, and they're going to take big ideas, and they're going to take a lot of passion. They're going to take a lot of desire to fix those over time. Um, one of the things is, well, first of all, I think that generational mindset, um, you know, I'm, I'm stuck where I'm at and I can't get out of it, it is, is a potential problem um, for West Virginia itself. You have to understand that, yes, I can get involved in society. They want me there. I need to play a role in it. And a lot of times it's very easy to play the victim mentality rather than just get in there and make it happen. I like that point. A lot of that relates to role models. Yeah. I mean, if you're growing up in a rural West Virginia community, and if you just don't see people who have college degrees or who have uh, kind of high-level technical training to be a skilled uh, a st- skilled tradesman or whatever, if, if you just don't see those examples in the people around you, especially if you're living in a very rural area, then it, it kind of limits your thinking. I mean, the importance of having... It could only limit your thinking. Yeah, absolutely. You just don't... If you have that role model there, be like, oh, that guy graduated from my high school, but he went... And he became a welder, and he's making $80,000 a year. Or, oh, he went to college, and he's an engineer over here at the uh, aerospace plant. Yeah, you know, role models are so important, but it's not easy to get role models, perhaps, out to rural areas. Yeah, that's a heavy thing to think about, for sure. Uh, when you're doing in your, your stats and your trends, do you collaborate with anybody else in the state or the area here to help bring all those things together? Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, we collaborate with people all the time. I mean, I, I'll let you know a little secret. I actually don't do anything. I just take the credit for the good work that my team and my collaborators do. I'm very good at taking credit for what others around me do. But, no, we collaborate. I mean, there's numerous offices across uh, WVU that, um, that kind of work on economic development issues or issues related to these things that we've been talking about with drug abuse, et cetera. So there's a lot of collaboration across the different colleges of WVU. But, I mean, I collaborate with other groups. I mean, for example, the West Virginia Development Office, we collaborate with them a lot. We actually just worked on a big project with them uh, where we looked at healthcare professionals or healthcare professions, and we looked at the demand for workers in certain healthcare professions and the supply of workers in a certain professions over the coming 20 years or whatever uh, to understand where gaps may be. But uh, anyway, I don't want to start rambling here, but... Yeah, we collaborate uh, across WVU. We collaborate with people like the Morgantown Area Economic Development Partnership. Uh, we collaborate with regional economic development councils, New River Gorge Economic Development Council. I'm rambling on here now. Not at all. No, it's but we do collaborate, and I think it's very important for us to all be on the same page and on the same team. Yeah, absolutely so. So you said, uh, I think it was an article in the Dominion Post a while back, um, that diversifying through entrepreneurship is kind of the way to to get things rolling here. And then it was talked about, you know, a lot of those startups will fail, but those who succeed will be the good base for, for development. Um, you know, 
the failing part's the hardest thing to think about too, you know, cause lots of good ideas, but there's that, that element of jumping in there. Then what happens if I do fail? Well, I usually talk about this in the context of, of industrial diversification, right? In West Virginia, you can show data that make the point pretty clearly that we are too dependent on energy. And I don't have anything against energy. I'm happy to have energy production as part of our economic portfolio. Uh, I want energy to be robust and strong, but we have to diversify into other areas as well. I mean, the thing is, a robust economy, a healthy economy, has, has strength in multiple sectors. So if one sector suffers some shock, the overall economy can can still roll along well. But our problem is we're too dependent on energy, so if energy suffers, our state overall suffers. So we have to diversify. And then the question is, how do you diversify? Right, the Soviet Union, I mean, I don't know how old the audience here is, and so if, if we have millennials listening, they may not know what in the world I'm talking about. But the Soviet Union in the 50s or 60s or 70s, they diversified by having a government committee sit around and, and choose, okay, we're going to promote these industries, we're not going to promote these industries over here. That's not how we want to diversify. We don't want government bureaucrats sitting around and trying to pick and choose winners and losers. And that's not going to be successful anyway in, very, in many ways. The, the real way to diversify is by promoting entrepreneurs, by supporting and encouraging entrepreneurs to try different things. I mean, there's so, so, so much research out there to support the idea that the key to innovation and driving change and driving growth in the economy is through entrepreneurship. Let entrepreneurs experiment. Let entrepreneurs go in different directions. And just like you mentioned, entrepreneurship is not easy, right? I mean, the success rate for entrepreneurs is not great. But for those entrepreneurs that do succeed, they are absolutely, absolutely vital to driving progress forward in their economy. So, so in West Virginia, the, the ultimate conclusion here is that a guiding principle behind economic development thinking needs to be what can we do to create our economic environment uh, or to make our economic environment more supportive to new business startup and growth? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times as an entrepreneur, one of the things you really got to do is identify a need. And so I guess what my question would be is for entrepreneurs that may be listening out there, where are some of the, I think the, the, maybe the easier pickings as far as being an entrepreneur and stepping into some type of industry, what are those kind of maybe second tier industries that, that are, ready to experience some level of growth? Oh, boy. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have specific industries to point to to say, hey, you should try this area. That's hard and that's risky. I mean, the thing is, I mean, to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to really know the industry to begin with. It's not like I can just point you to this industry and then you can just go there and get started. I mean, you have to intimately know the industry, intimately know the game, intimately know your competition, um, or else to just be naive and you'll just flounder. Um, well, so, I think tourism is a big thing for West Virginia. Anything relating to the tourism kind of industry, whether it's outdoor adventures or things of that nature, well, well, things no, that relate well, to well, tourism. No, if, if we're going to talk about it at that level, absolutely. I, I, yeah, on I, the macro. I, I'm sorry, I didn't realize how high level we were talking. Yeah. Here, but no, tourism, I think, is one of our biggest opportunities for many of our eastern counties. Tourism isn't going to be a thing for all counties in West Virginia, and that's fine. But for many of our eastern counties and, and even some of our southern or southwestern counties, um, I think tourism is one of our biggest opportunities. I mean, I mean, you know, I lived in Tennessee for five years, and I lived uh, in Knoxville, but Knoxville's very close to this Gatlinburg area. Mm -hmm. And that Gatlinburg area, boy, you talk about a tourism mecca. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have so much money coming in there for tourism. And think about it. I mean, I mean, we have... I mean, the thing is, Gatlinburg is centered on the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. It's centered on wonderful outdoor opportunities. And then they've capitalized off of that base. 
But we have the same foundation. We have outdoor areas that are just as cool as the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And we now have a national park in West Virginia down here in New River Gorge, which is awesome. But we have this huge population center that's so close that we could draw from. I mean, imagine somebody in Washington, D.C., living in this hustle and bustle, living in this crowd. They could drive out so easily in no time to enjoy a super cool weekend out in Pocahontas County, West Virginia, doing outdoor stuff uh, if, if we could just develop it. So there's plenty of opportunities there for, for entrepreneurs. But also, I mean, it, it ta- it's going to be a big effort because we have to, to do more to market the state. I mean, I know Chelsea Ruby, the tourism uh, commissioner in West Virginia, I know that she's doing more. Uh, but it's, it's going it's to take her and a lot of other people to, to do all we can to get the word out about, hey, West Virginia has great opportunities. Uh, and we're going to have to do even more things like, like improve the roads. You know, it's, it's coming from Virginia to West Virginia, the roads go down in quality. Um, so we have to make it easy for those entrepreneurs. But I think you're right on to something there. Good. Yeah, and I think a lot of just from that Gatlinburg perspective, you know, Pigeon Forge is right there adjacent to it. And that's what draws a lot of that stuff. And then you kind of get the bonus of Gatlinburg being there, I think, for everything that is offered. Uh, I don't think that's quite right. I think Gatlinburg was the beginning. Yeah. Gatlinburg started back decades ago, and then it has morphed out to Pigeon, to Pigeon Forge. Pigeon Forge has tacked on, and now even further down the road, Sevierville, Tennessee, yep. is now part of it. But Gatlinburg was the hub. That was the, the starting point in the mountains, and then Pigeon Forge developed, and Pigeon Forge got Dollywood and a lot of classic car stuff and whatever, and then it's just grown. But the starting point was Gatlinburg, and Pigeon Forge came on as, um, as, the, as the growth. To as the, okay. Well, I'm glad you said that. I always had it the other way around, um, just because some of the people that I knew um, prior to coming to the East Coast always said talked about Pigeon Forge. And then I didn't know anything about Gatlinburg until I got to Pigeon Forge. And I was like, well... Hang on a second. They got Cades Cove over here and the whole loop and all well, kinds of other stuff to see trout fishing up there. Well, and Pigeon Forge may even be bigger now, but I, I'm not necessarily saying which one is bigger or which one has more people necessarily. Yeah. yeah. But Gatlinburg was the starting point, and then the growth happened. I, I think off of that. Yeah. Going. I think if my directions are right, I think the growth went west in that direction. But I'm not. Completely but you're certainly right in the similarities. Yep. What we have to offer in in a lot of ways, and it's that outdoor experience, and we have that in spades over many of the states in our in our geographical area. I absolutely agree. It's it's the outdoor amenity plus the nearby population, and we have that too with Washington and with other. That's right. Uh, you know, eastern. You know, Mar- there's there's a whole bunch of population nearby that we can draw from. That's in a very short, straightforward driving distance. I got to get those numbers. We talk about this a lot, and there's that that magical number that we're within an arm's length of the majority of the population of the entire country, kind of right here in this northeastern corridor. So, Yeah, no, it's a big advantage that we have. And, I mean, the thing is you have to, you have to focus on your strategic advantage, right? We can't just all of a sudden, you know, embark upon economic development in some random area. We have to build on our natural strengths, and this is one of our natural strengths. Yeah. Going back to the entrepreneurship part of things, uh, are there programs that exist? Or actually, I know there are. So what what are some of those programs that exist uh, around here and in the state for helping people get on board with that? Well, at WVU, we have a lot of programs. Uh, We have uh, various entities at WVU. We have the Encova Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. We have uh, the Launch Lab. We have the uh, Vantage Ventures. Uh, all those entities, and there's other entities as well, all those entities are focused on kind of different entrepreneurs or different people, whether they be students, whether they be tech entrepreneurs, whether they be community members. Um, and we have resources to help coach them. I mean, the law school has an entrepreneurial uh, clinic as well to help them understand the legal framework or the legal environment that they're getting into. 
but we have a bunch of resources that we're providing to, to coach community members and students to, to try to inspire them to have that entrepreneurial mindset, but then also to inspire them or to just, just give them the resources that they need as they go through the really challenging kind of uh, gauntlet of starting a new business. And you don't have to be a student to take advantage of those programs? You do not have to be. I mean, we have cert- we have a variety of programs. Some are student-based, but, but there are others that are not. Uh, I mean, heck, you can reach out to me personally if you're listening and if you're thinking about starting a new business, and I can point in the direction of people who can provide you some advice and coaching. Man, that is terrific to, to know that there's a, 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 a relief valve out there that you can get involved and you can find out things that you can do. That, but I keep saying the word you, and it really revolves around you taking that effort and reaching out the things that are out there. And that's one of the, the things that we're trying to expose here are there are avenues that you can take to get out there and try to get involved in these things and change your life for the, for the better for the future. Um, you mentioned three particular organizations in that, the Encova and a couple others. Um, and I don't want to just gloss over them real quick. If, if you're able to, can you give us just a little bit deeper dive on each one of those and what their kind of focus is? Well, I don't want to misstate anything here, but uh, the Encova Center is broad-based. And Encova Center does a lot of, um, there's kind of three pillars to the Encova platform. One is we do a lot of educational programming. This is not exactly what we're talking about right now, but we do a lot of educational programming in uh, even the K-12 space and also in the collegiate space just to help people think about like business plan competitions, entrepreneurship competitions, just to get people thinking about the possibility of entrepreneurship because that's oftentimes it's not on people's radar. They don't mm-hmm. even think about it. Uh, but then another uh, part of the Encova platform is we have a pretty big uh, program where we bring in small businesses that need help, uh, you know, in a variety of ways. And we put student teams, sometimes they're undergrad students, sometimes they're MBA students, but we put student teams on uh, doing projects for community businesses or for new businesses in the community, things like business plans or feasibility studies. Um, and then we have the community business program, which is most directly associated with what we're talking about here, where we can just straight up provide direct assistance and coaching to uh, community businesses. So the, the Encova Center, the community business program is, is right at the heart of kind of what we're talking about. Um, the Launch Lab, another entity that we have, um, they, uh, they're mostly for students. They're for students who have kind of gone through our entrepreneurship curriculum and who have an idea and who uh, even have products to develop. And so the, the, the Launch Lab is more for students, but they even have like maker spaces. Um, if you are, um, you know, if you're trying to prototype your product. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, and then Vantage Ventures as well is, is similar in a lot of ways to the Encova Center, but they, uh, I think they're focused largely on kind of high-tech entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who have a new product, maybe coming from the health sciences or maybe coming from engineering, and they're trying to develop that product and they need space and they need some support uh, while they get off the ground. Absolutely. I think uh, Chris from Morgantown Brewing, he was a guest on here. I think he went through that Encova program when he was in school. And, I mean, that's really what, you know, he learned everything he needed to know right there, and I really gave him a good start to be where he's at today. That would make sense. I mean, Encova can give him coaching kind of from the business side, and they can also connect him and uh, work with the legal side, like I said, with the law school, to make sure that he understands all the, you know, ways in which he has to cross these T's and dot these I's from a legal perspective. Yeah, and I think he did some kind of competition in there, and he ended up, he and his, his buddy there, um, Cheeseboro, I can't remember his first name. They ended up winning. Oh, they won ten grand. That's how they started the group. They, they yeah. got involved in Morgan. Ah. The 
Brewing Company downtown. Yep. Yeah. No. Well, that's the business plan competition. I yeah. Mean, I mean, it's right. a direct result. We have a business as a direct result that it's currently operating, hiring, and uh-huh. providing tax revenue here as a result of that program right there. And, and just think about that. I mean, we're so happy to have that business in place, but but also like those local breweries like that are so important to creating the kind of atmosphere in the community that you need to make the the, the community attractive to That's people. That's right. We right get some level of tourism. People travel for this kind of thing. People look for that as an amenity in the in the well, town. Well, tourism a for sure, but also if I'm thinking about accepting a job, suppose, you know, some business X has offered me a job in Morgantown and I'm thinking about coming to Morgantown versus I have another offer in Cleveland. I come here, I want to see things like that yep. brewery to, 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 to make sure that I want to live in this community. I mean, Absolutely. So, so it's it's important from at least two different perspectives. Yeah, and probably many more, as a matter of fact. So uh, very neat. You know, so, several of the guests that we've had here have mentioned some of these. We had Frank Vitale on just recently. Um, he has Forge Business Solutions. He mentioned a few of these programs as well. Um, and when we talked to Chris, he had mentioned this. So this is something that's uh, been on our radar a little bit as we've been kind of doing this podcast week to week. It's, it's super cool, and it's, uh, you know, it gets me excited to think about this momentum that we have to make our area more attractive to entrepreneurs, to people. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, we're trying to get kind of high-quality people to come here, right? But one of those big things, and, and I know you're will, uh, willing and able to speak to this a little bit, is the broadband. We can't get away from that. I mean, if we're going to be able to do this thing and we're going to be able to attract the people that we need and keep them here, um, it's going to be the broadband. What do you know about that? Well, it's it, I know it's a deal breaker, right? I mean, it, it's an absolute deal breaker. I mean, fortunately here in Morgantown, or at least everybody that I know, we we have good Morgan, we have good internet here in uh, Mon County. But if we're thinking about some of the more rural areas of, of West Virginia, if we're thinking about promoting remote workers, or we're just thinking about promoting economic development in general, uh, in the year 2021, not having good broadband is a complete deal breaker. Uh, remote work is clearly not a possibility without good broadband. Um, So, I mean, kind of part of the way I think about it is when electricity and indoor plumbing were first introduced, you know, whenever that was, the late 1800s or whenever, they were first thought of as luxuries. Like, oh, wow, this rich house has electricity, or oh, this rich house has uh, indoor plumbing. But over time, we started thinking of them not as just luxury items that rich people have, but we started thinking of electricity and indoor plumbing as necessities. Mm-hmm. And the government even started intervening to uh, you know, provide those services. Uh, and I think we're going to have to start doing the same thing with broadband. I think we're going to have to start no longer thinking of it uh, like 1995-level mentality of, oh, Internet is a luxury item that we have and it's such a novelty. But we're going to have to start thinking of it as an absolute necessity or community development won't happen without it. Well, I've heard of some good things coming our way, I think, in Mon County specifically. I know we need to get out into the more rural counties as well to help develop them. Uh-huh. Um, but I've heard that there's some good things coming our way in Mon County as well from some of the other people that we've talked to. Yeah, very good. I hope so because it's so important. It can't be more important now with the era of Zoom meetings and Netflix and ordering everything. <laughs> no doubt about it. I spend too much time on Zoom meetings. Yep. Me too. But just, I mean, just in general, I mean, a lot of times in my house – you know, my kids will each have something going on YouTube or whatever, and I'll have something going in another room. I mean, we're just constantly on there. Yeah. So we've had we've touched on lots of things that uh, should happen or need to happen in order to improve. Are there any conversations happening um, about how to make those things actually happen? Well, there certainly are. I mean, if we're talking about the broadband issue, I mean, I think that's one of the hardest ones because just taking broadband, uh, you know, up that last mile up to the 
uh, remote parts of West Virginia is very expensive and it's not easy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we have a lot of people across West Virginia working on this. Um, and like I say, part of my mission personally is to, uh, you know, be in that area and just kind of work with people to make sure we're teaming together and working as efficiently as effectively as possible. But, but we have a lot of good people working on the issues. But like I say, the issues, especially like the human capital issues we talked about before, they're just not easy and they're not going to be solved overnight. Or not at all, yeah. Yep. Well, one of the other bigger problems West Virginia faces too, and maybe you'll have some insight on this, is the population loss. Um, we lose young people. We're an old population here. And, and here's something I heard you say the other day, and I've heard this bannered about a little bit. I hear this number thrown around that, hey, West Virginia is poised to bring on about 400,000 new residents to the state over the next period of years. And I've heard this from several different people that are involved in the business community. However, are, is there anything to substantiate those numbers whatsoever? And what are we looking at there? Yeah, I know of nothing to substantiate right. 400,000. I know of. I heard you say that the other day, and it piqued my interest. I mean, that's a big increase. I mean, we're talking about 1.8 million people in West Virginia, so 400,000 would be a big percentage increase. Yeah. And that would be in sharp contrast to the trends we've seen lately. So here's the two things. Uh, one thing is natural population change. Natural population change is just births minus deaths. And West Virginia has been in a pattern now for five or six years where we have what we refer to as natural population decline because we're an older state. We're one of the top uh, two or three oldest states in the country. It, it has been the case. This is very morbid to talk about, but we have more deaths than births mm -hmm. in West Virginia. And I'm not talking about 2020 because 2020 was a weird year because of COVID. Even for several years before 2020, it's been a trend. we have had more deaths than births. And so we're suffering what we refer to as natural population decline. Um, it's not a lot of people. It's a few thousand people per year in terms of the deaths exceeding the births. But that's with us. And that's not going to go anywhere for at least a few years because that's just driven by the age distribution of the population. Yeah. So the other factor is migration or net migration. How many people are moving out versus how many people are moving in? Um, you know, the natural population change is pretty stable and pretty predictable. You, know, you can bet on that. Uh, but the migration changes a lot. It changes a lot based on economic opportunities uh, in the nation overall and in economic opportunities in West Virginia and how those two compare. And migration... Um, I mean, it's volatile. I mean, if you look at net migration over the past 20 years, it's up and down quite a bit in terms of uh, the, the number of people we're losing or the number of people we're gaining to migration trends. Uh, I, I will say to bring in 400,000 people would be very, very, it would be a very big change in terms of the migration numbers that we've seen over the past 20 years, a big change. Um, but the thing is, if, if I can go on about this just a little bit more, what we have in place in many parts of West Virginia is 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 a vicious cycle, especially like let's let's just use southwestern West Virginia as our example because that's been our hardest hit coal country. So in in southwestern West Virginia, we have a shock, loss of coal jobs, and people can't just wait for new jobs to appear. They have to go elsewhere in search of jobs. Me, I did that. I'm not living in my hometown. I had to go out in search of jobs, in search of a job. So when people leave in response to a shock, then the data show very clearly that the people who leave tend to be younger, healthier, and better educated or better skilled. And that makes the area older, less educated, less educated, less skilled, less healthy, less educated, just, just based on the data. And furthermore, when uh, economic suffering takes place 
like for example, when there's a loss of coal jobs, there's a very strong correlation with drug abuse, right? Economic opportunity falls, drug abuse rises. Yep. This is very clear in the data. So, so think about this, a shock occurs, People move out, the area becomes less attractive to, to potential businesses because it has people moving out because it's becoming older and et cetera. And drug abuse is rising there, making it harder to find the workers that you need. And, and, and so this becomes a vicious cycle where it feeds on itself. And an absolute race to the bottom. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that vicious cycle is in place in several counties in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to turn that around. We have to find creative, different ways to turn that vicious cycle around. On, a, on the flip side, I think here in Mon County, we have a virtuous cycle where we have positive momentum, where we have things going in like the brewery we were just talking about, where we have people coming in, young people, where there's skilled people coming in. And that builds on itself as well. It's a virtuous cycle in contrast to a vicious cycle. Um, so we, we have to flip the, the data, or the, we have to flip the scales on the number of counties embroiled in the vicious cycle versus the number of counties embroiled in the virtuous cycle. Does that make sense? What I'm it does. It sure it does. Yeah. It totally, the whole idea comes back to the thing you said earlier, which was the industry um, being diversified. So those people, when they, when they get pushed out of one particular sector, let's say, they, there's another sector within the state, so they don't have to leave the state to find that kind of employment. There's somewhere else they can be absorbed within the state. And so these people that have lost energy sector jobs mm-hmm. um, really have no other industry they can go to um, that's viable in West Virginia that provides those kind of jobs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Boone County is the best example of this. Boone County was their top coal-producing county for years and years and uh, Boone County was anything but diversified. The number of jobs in Boone County that related to coal was overwhelming. I mean, there were a case yeah. study in lack of diversification. But then as those coal jobs lost, uh, Boone, Boone County has been embroiled completely in this uh, vicious cycle that I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah, One of the worst suffering counties in the state. On the yeah. flip side, Mon County is one of the most diverse counties in West Virginia. Yeah. In Mon County, I mean, the fact that WVU here is a great, very, very, very strong foundation to our economy. But other than that, you can't really point to just one thing that's going right in Mon County that's making Mon County or North Central West Virginia one of the standout regions in West Virginia. And that's what you want. You don't want to just be able to point to one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like if, if, if you ask me why is Mon County a standout county in West Virginia, you don't want me to be able to just point to it because you want multiple things working together. That's right. That's absolutely right, yeah. Yeah, we get a lot of people uh, ask that question, too, when they come here for, you know, out of state for tours in the housing and jobs. And that's exactly right. You can't ever just point to one specific thing. Yeah. And, yep. and it's, it's weird because people almost expect you to be able to do that, but that's not, wouldn't be a good thing if you could. Sure. Yeah, nicely said. A lot of great information there. Um, I tell you, John, it's really been a pleasure having you here. And really, I mean, your insight is absolutely incredible. Um, and the thing that, and I'll touch it on this again, it's, it's really your passion for it. You speak in a way that just clearly shows a real heart for West Virginia and a real passion for the development of the state. And I, I just want to say personally, I, I really appreciate seeing that myself. So it's very encouraging to me. Well, thanks so much. Really happy to be here. I mean, I do like my job a lot. I enjoy it. I've kind of been passionate about economics ever since I stumbled across my first econ class in college. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to be part of you know, the team that's trying to push West Virginia forward. Yep, and we'll make sure when we when we release this episode, we'll make sure in the description that we include some link links to some of these uh, programs that you've been talking about so that people that are listening to this can actually jump in and get involved and um, take part in some of the great pro- projects that are available out there for you. Certainly. So before we wrap up, too, 
you know, there's got to be a little more to you than just uh, economics and stats. What else do you enjoy in the state, you know, as far as getting outside, doing things with your family? Well, I love what? I love the outdoor opportunities. I mean, my kids and I go to Cooper's Rock quite a bit. I mean, it's easy. It's just right down the road. Uh, we w- I went to the Blackwater Falls for the first time last, um, you know, fall foliage season. Like oh, yeah. Late September or so. And, boy, I really loved going to Blackwater Falls. Have you been there? Oh, yeah. That's a, Many times. That's an awesome place. Uh, but I'd love to get – I haven't been to all of those places like that. I haven't been to Seneca Rocks, for example. Oh, that's a great uh, one. And, and sure I, is. I need to make it out to more of these kind of tourist destinations uh, and enjoy them more. I'm talking about them from an economic development perspective, but I need to enjoy them more from a personal perspective. Yeah, from a person. Yeah, do you fish or hunt or anything like that? <sighs> no, uh, I used to go hunting a lot with my dad when I was a kid, but but when I finished grad school and when I moved to Nebraska, I I quit because when I moved to Nebraska, I didn't have anybody to go with, and you don't go hunting by yourself. That would be lame. Um, <laughs> So I, I wait I have, a second. I do that a lot. I do that a lot too. Yeah, <laughs> I, do that a lot. <laughs> I sure do. When I when I was a kid, we would go and we'd up at our campsite. We'd have twenty, thirty people up. Oh there. yeah, a lot yeah. of people. Hunting uh, camp's a big thing around here too. Yeah, I just don't have that many friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, the, sometimes there's nothing better than sitting out in the dark at four thirty in the morning, yeah. semi terrified of the, the bear <laughs> with my air quotes here. That could be anywhere. But yeah, no, I love it. But I need to get back into it. But I haven't been in a long time. But um, I used to. I haven't killed a deer since. The last time I killed a deer was like 2005. So it's my refrigerator. My freezer is not stocked anymore. All right. Well, you know, and so, you know, and I know we kind of reinvigorated this a little bit, but the idea of hunting being a major tourism attraction for West Virginia is big, especially now that we're working on an elk uh, reintroduction uh, project that's taking place in the state. There's some neat things happen happening in that you know um, in the realm of hunting and fishing and so forth for West Virginia. That's, that's cool. It makes me want to get out there in the woods this fall. All right, good stuff. Anything else, Aaron? No, we'll John? wrap it up here. Uh, guys, we're going to say thank you once again to the Cranberry Hotel here in Cheat Lake in West Virginia. It's a new hotel out here, and they've been kind enough to let us use their business center. Again, it's a fantastic location. You can certainly utilize it yourself out here. Just contact the hotel. they got a lot of amenities out here, and so we just want to extend a big thank you to them and Apple Annie's for providing us with some coffee and pastries here this morning. And a big thank you to John Deskins this morning for coming in, spending some time, and dropping some real knowledge on us and, and really really help elevating the state and giving us some great ways that we can get in there uh, and participate in the economy and help drive West Virginia forward.